0: All right, so this is the third Sunday in what's known as the season of Lent, which is traditionally a time of prayer and uh, uh, repentance and fasting uh, before Easter. And uh, traditionally, we talk about the cross on Good Friday, you know, which is just two days before Easter. And I thought, I don't want to wait until Good Friday to talk about the cross Because every year I do that, and every year I think, this is not enough time to talk about something as significant as the cross. And then, of course, once you get to Easter, you got to talk about the resurrection. So I thought, let's spend four whole weeks during the season of Lent talking about the cross, which feels very appropriate, you know, with it being this season of of repentance and fasting. Um, What we think about the cross should be absolutely central ...to our faith. It's extremely important. Uh, Paul told the Corinthians, "...when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom... ...as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you... ...except Jesus Christ and Him crucified." I resolved to know nothing when I was with you... ...except Jesus Christ... And him crucified. So, at the center of the Christian faith, at the center of true Christian preaching, at the center of our understanding of God, is supposed to be Jesus Christ, and specifically, Jesus Christ crucified. For the Apostle Paul, that was absolutely central. And Paul describes this message of Christ crucified as God's secret wisdom. Sounds intriguing, doesn't it? God's secret wisdom. I don't know about you, but I want to be let in on that. And he says, It is a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Now, the Jews believed that God created the world through his wisdom. They would use that language when they would talk about God creating the world, creating the world through his wisdom. So, when Paul says that through Christ crucified, God's secret wisdom is revealed, he's saying that the cross reveals things that have always been true about who God is and how his creation works. The cross reveals things that have always been true about who God is and how his creation works. It reveals the wisdom that made the world. Okay. But, Paul describes this wisdom as often hidden Which means people fail to see it. We fail to recognize it. Now, people often fail to recognize Jesus as Lord, right? But this is, I'm not just saying that people fail to recognize Jesus as Lord. People fail to recognize the secret wisdom that is revealed through Jesus and the cross. We often don't see it. You know, it's the wisdom of humility. The wisdom of sacrificial love. The wisdom of turning the other cheek. The wisdom of loving our enemies. This is the secret wisdom. And often we miss it. Paul says that if, if people understood this hidden wisdom, Jesus would not have ended up crucified in the first place. Now That makes sense, right? If part of the hidden wisdom that is revealed is this loving of one's enemies, this turning from violence, then that would be part of the reason that Jesus would be crucified, right? Because that's not the way the world often operates. You try to kill your enemies or anyone that you see as a threat. Paul says they've tried to kill. They killed Jesus because they didn't get it. They didn't get the wisdom of God. They didn't understand, as he says, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, maybe you've heard that verse before. I know I've heard it a lot. And every time I've heard it, it's always used to talk about heaven, the life to come. And as you can probably imagine from the time we spent in Revelation, I do agree that when it comes to heaven, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived how awesome heaven is going to be. I agree with that. But if you look at the context here, Paul's not really talking about heaven here, right? He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the secret hidden wisdom of God that once it's revealed, we should go, oh, wow, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived how incredible this is. That's what he's talking about. Christ crucified. But why would Christ crucified be better than anything we could imagine? An unjust, horrible death. What? How could that possibly be regarded as some amazing thing, some wonderful thing? It seems more horrible than what any of us could imagine, right? Well, there's several ways of answering that question. And over the next four weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on answering that question. But the way I want to focus on answering it this morning is by recognizing that Christ crucified is a revelation of what God is like. Christ crucified is a revelation of what God is like. At the start of the Gospel of John, he begins his whole account with a summary of who this Jesus is that he's about to talk about for the next 21 chapters. And he begins by saying that uh, Jesus who he describes as the word, I'm not going to get into why he uses the word word, but just trust me, word here means Jesus. He says, Jesus is the word who is with God and who is God and through whom all things were made. Now, don't ask me to explain exactly how something can be with and be that thing at the same time. (laughs) With God and be God at the same time. That's a mystery that defies human comprehension. And that's where this concept of the Trinity comes from, right? That God is one, but he also exists in a perfect relationship of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is an idea that is derived from the Scriptures, from passages like this, trying to uh, put words to the mystery that is being expressed here. And right here we're talking about the Father and the Son, okay? Now... One way of uh, paraphrasing this would be, from the very beginning, Jesus was with the Father and was of the same essence as the Father. Jesus was with the Father and is of the same essence as the Father. And then John tells us that the Word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is what we call the incarnation in Christian theology. Jesus became flesh. So, Jesus was God in human flesh. He was the one through whom all things were made in a human body, the creator become creation. A holy mystery. Okay. So, in light of all this, if we want to know what God is like, we cannot do better than looking at Jesus. Jesus is a revelation of what God is like. It is so important to understand this, to get this into our thinking. And John says this very clearly when he says, uh, a little bit down in that chapter, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. No one has ever seen God, but Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh, has made him known. If you want to get as close as you can to looking into the face of God, you look into the face of Jesus. And we have to recognize that the the climax of Jesus' life, right, is the crucifixion. When you see the suffering Christ on the cross, you are seeing a revelation of who God is. Jesus said he came to give his life as a ransom for many. So part of the whole point Of his life, this word made flesh, was to lay his life down. Now, the reason I emphasize this so much is because whether we realize it or not, it has become common not to see Jesus on the cross in this way. There's a lot of people who, maybe I've even done this, maybe you guys have done it as well, you sort of picture what's going on at the cross as God the Father beating up God the Son because he's so mad about sin that he's just got to take it out on somebody, right? He's angry, right? So Jesus is like the nice part of God or something that says, okay, I'll, I'll take the beating even though I don't deserve it. And that way of viewing things is very unfortunate because what it does is it pits the father against the son. But we know, right, that the father and the son, they're of the same essence. And the son reveals the father, right? So you shouldn't look at the son and see, oh, look at how much the father will beat up an innocent person. What you should do is you should look at the sun, you should see a revelation of how much the Father loves us, okay? Because this is what God is willing to do on our behalf. Jesus Christ is a revelation, the cross is a revelation of what God is like. And if you have any doubt about that at all consider John chapter 5 verse 19 Jesus says very truly I tell you the son can do nothing by himself he can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does the son also does So when you're looking at what Jesus does you're not seeing something different from what the father does okay they operate in harmony they have the same will the same essence Okay so with all that in mind, what does the cross reveal about what God is like? I just have three simple points for us to take home today. And the first one is, God bears our sin. God bears our sin. And by bearing, I mean willing to suffer the consequences of it. Right? If you bear someone's mortgage, you're paying it. Right? That, that is what God is willing to do with our sins. He is willing to bear them. Now, of course, one common word that we use to describe bearing sin is forgiveness, right? Forgiveness is what we do when we experience the pain of someone's sin. And rather than uh, holding on to that pain or trying to inflict it back, we absorb it, we take it, and then we let it go. We let it go. And that is what Jesus did through the cross. He allowed humanity's sin to fall upon himself and he absorbed it. He didn't strike back. He wasn't filled with hatred. He took it in and he destroyed his power. Now if you really want to appreciate how amazing this is, you have to recognize how easy it would have been for Jesus to stop the crucifixion from happening. Sometimes I think we fail to appreciate that. You might remember that When uh, they first come to arrest Jesus, Peter, he tries to defend Jesus. He pulls out his sword, he cuts off the ear of one of the guards that's coming to get him. And do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? He said, put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. So we got a little bit of a a critique there of of uh, the violent way of approaching things, right? And then he says, Do you think that I cannot call on my Father, and He will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? Now, I looked this up. Uh, A legion is, where is it here? 6,826 men. So, twelve legions would be 81,912 angels. And honestly, we know, right, that 12 tends to be a symbolic number in the scriptures. So it's kind of like just saying, I can have as many angels as I want at my command. And I don't know how familiar you are with angels in scripture. But if you know anything about them, I think you'd only need one. (laughs) But Jesus does not call on those angels. He restrains himself. Even though he knows that not calling on them is going to lead to the cross. It's going to lead to this excruciating death. That's where we get that word excruciating from. Crucifixion, right? That's where it's going to lead. And yet, Jesus goes to the cross. He willingly restrains his power. And he willingly bears our sin. And this is a revelation of what God is like. This is what God has always been like. He bears our sin. God is patient. God is forgiving. God is merciful. You know, when you think about it, at any moment, God could just scrap this whole world and be like, we're hitting reset, we're starting over. Everything is a mess. (laughs) He could do that. He could say, I'm tired of those sinners. Send down the legions of destroying angels. And let's... uh, Let's just start over. He could do that. But he doesn't. Instead, he shows us grace. Instead, he is faithful to the promises that he has made. Instead, he, is, he is, uh, works to persuade us towards repentance. He bears our sins. That is what God is like. And the fact that God willingly bears our sins, the fact that he willingly forgives... That brings us to the second revelation of the cross, which I did already mention earlier. And I'm almost embarrassed to put this up here because you hear it so often that it starts to sound trite. God loves us. God loves us. I mean, if you grew up in the church, chances are you have heard that so many times that you don't even hear it anymore. Do you know what I mean? You grew up singing Jesus loves me. You've heard that all your life. I have no doubt that that is the most frequently stated theological concept in the world. But I also believe that it is spoken far more often than it is actually believed. God loves us. You know, as we go through our lives, bad things happen. And sometimes bad things happen to good people. Sometimes good things happen to bad people. We experience being hurt by others and hurting others. And because of all that, we can hear these words, God loves you, and it could start to sound hollow. Like it's, it's hard to believe because we look at the world around us and sometimes it just doesn't feel like that's actually the case. And that is why we need a revelation of what God is truly like. A special revelation. And that is what we have through the cross. That's why we need to resolve to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because that is the way that the revelation comes to us. Of who God truly is. On the cross, God in the flesh. Capable of calling legions of angels to spare Him from this suffering. Willingly restrains Himself. Willingly holds himself back. The almighty creator through whom all things were made. Why would the one who made all things willingly be tortured by some of those things? Why would he do that? The only explanation is love. Right? The only explanation is because he thought it was worth it. Because God knew that in bearing our sin, we could be rescued. God knew that in bearing our sin... We could find our way to relationship with him now and forever. And God considered that worth it. Why would he consider that worth it? Because he loves us. Romans 5, 7-8 says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, what Paul is saying here, he's acknowledging sometimes a person will die for a good person, you know, someone that they like. I'm sure we've all heard the stories, um, incredible stories of heroism of, you know, soldiers in battle who might uh, jump on a grenade to save their comrades from the explosion. And, you know, I'm awed by those stories of heroism, and um, they're amazing. But what Jesus did is even more amazing because what Jesus did, according to this, is like jumping on the grenade in enemy territory to save the enemies. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I think that one of the most astonishing verses in the whole Bible is Luke 23, 34. Jesus is in agony. He is... uh, surrounded by his torturers, and these torturers are now casting lots for his clothing, right? They're they're trying to figure out who's going to get his stuff, his last worldly possessions. I mean, that is like going into the room of a dying man who is suffering but yet still fully conscious and arguing over, well, who's going to get the curtains and who's going to get the bedspread, right? How deeply insulting. Nothing could be more insulting than that, right? To be in the presence of a dying man and to seem to care more about his stuff than to show any compassion for him. And what does Jesus do in response to that? This Jesus, who has the power to call down legions of angels at any moment. He prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. (laughs) And that is a revelation of what God is like. Wow. Forgiving and merciful He loves us, no matter how far gone we might think we are, he loves us now you don't you might be thinking right now, um, well, wow, uh, that's amazing, so does that mean I just have permission to sin? I mean goodness, like if God is willing to bear my sin, if he loves me that much and if he's even praying for his torturers like that, I mean, I guess this just means that I can just do whatever I want, right? Well, I would say absolutely not. And if you, if you aren't able to say that with me, you haven't fully grasped uh, what we are seeing here, okay? Because the cross... Doesn't just reveal that God bears our sin, the cross also reveals how awful sin is, right? Sin is serious, sin causes pain, there are consequences to it. Its effects can be excruciating. The cross should never lead us to think that sin is just this trivial thing that doesn't matter, right? It should do exactly the opposite. The cross should inspire us to holiness and to righteousness because we look at the cross and we see the dreadful consequences of sin. We should see in the wounds of Jesus how ugly sin is. And and we should want nothing to do with it. So the cross should make us hate our sin more than we ever have before. But at the same time, it should fill us with this incredible hope because even though sin is horrible, even though its effects are so destructive, even so, God loves us. And so, you know, I don't know what this last year has been like for a lot of you. I know for all of us, it's been fairly difficult. This morning, whatever you've, you've been through, where, wherever you're at... I want you to hear God saying to you through the cross, I love you enough to bear your sin. I am here, my arms are outstretched and ready to embrace you. Like the story of the prodigal son coming home, I am like that father in that story. I am ready to embrace you. Even if you've dishonored me, even if you've squandered my inheritance that I gave you, squandered it on wild living and stupid choices. Even if you've made a complete mess of your life, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to welcome you home. I love you. Now, let's recognize, like the prodigal son, you can remain in the far country. And you can suffer the consequences of remaining distant from the father. But God doesn't want you to do that the cross is the revelation that god's arms are outstretched welcome you welcoming you saying whatever sins you've committed i am bearing them and i want you to come to me okay but you have to come you have to leave the far country and come to him you know in any relationship reconciliation requires both parties to move toward each other right You know, if one person forgives, lets things go, but then the other person doesn't then choose to move toward the other person, full reconciliation can't happen. Now, what the cross reveals to us is that on his end, God has done what is necessary to be reconciled to us. He has done his part, right? He has said, I'm I'm willing to bear the sin, I'm willing to absorb it, I'm willing to let it go. Okay, but now it's up to us whether we are then going to move towards him, like the prodigal son coming home to the father. Will you complete the reconciliation? God is reconciled to me. Will I be reconciled to him? All right, let's consider one more thing that the cross reveals about what God is like. And just to be clear, I'm not saying that these three things are the be-all, end-all. There's probably a lot more that we could come up with But one more for this morning. God identifies with our suffering. God identifies with our suffering. One of the most common critiques from people who have trouble believing in God is something known as the problem of evil. And the problem of evil basically says, how can there be an almighty, good, loving God when the world is so messed up? When there's so much evil and suffering in the world. Those two things just don't seem to go together. And that is a hard question. I think it's a question that any thoughtful person who believes in God has to wrestle with at some point. And, you know, philosophers have struggled with it. Theologians have struggled with it. Lots of books have been written about it. Some of them very good, some of them not very good. And it's not like there's ever going to be a really simple, easy answer, I think, to the problem of evil. It's a, it's, to some extent, it's a mystery. But the cross reveals something that helps us with the problem of evil. It doesn't solve it, but it reveals something that helps. It tells us that in some way, God bears the suffering of the world with us, right? Right? God is not distant and removed from the pain of the world. He's not some passive spectator just watching it unfold. He is, in some way, with us in it. You know, some of us, when we suffer, we get angry at God. And we, we accuse him of, you know, yeah, how could you allow this? What's the matter with you? Are you even there? And before we say that, we need to think of Jesus on the cross... And that's part of our answer to that question. Right? He is there. He's with us. God has not left us to suffer alone. He's not a passive observer to our pain. He is in it with us. Now, I want to admit something. If you're of the uh, theological mindset, you might, you, might, you might want to say, well, Ryan, I know a lot of theologians don't believe that God suffers. And that's true. A lot of people will say God does not suffer. And you know, their argument goes something like this um, suffering implies change. God can't change. Therefore, God can't suffer. And there's logic to that. But I think it's a logic that's rooted more in human philosophy than in the revelation that we have through Jesus Christ. The revelation through Jesus Christ, you know, tells us that God in some way is with us in this suffering. I mean, if the Word really became flesh, if the Creator really walked the earth as a human being, and if that was true in any, any meaningful sense, then surely Christ's suffering is in a sense the suffering of God. I just don't know how to get around that. And so the cross reveals that when we are in pain, when we are struggling, God is with us in that. Sometimes we are nearest to God. We feel nearest to God. When we are in pain, there's a reason for that. Because Jesus has been through that pain. Jesus has suffered not just the pain, right, but ultimately he has suffered because he's taking on The source of pain, sin and evil, absorbing it onto himself, bearing it for us. Because God is with us in our pain, he can help us through it. He can give us strength to endure. And he can lead us through that pain into new life. Because if you know where this story is headed, uh, you know that it leads to resurrection. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. That's still a few weeks away. God bears our sin. God loves us. And God identifies with our pain. That is the secret wisdom that is better than any eye has seen, any ear has heard, or any mind has conceived. And that is what we, like the Apostle Paul, need to resolve to know and proclaim as the greatest truth. Amen? Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you so much for this reminder of who you are. And uh, Father, you truly are greater than we can imagine. Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, not allow any idols, any false notions of who you are to, to shape our understanding, Lord, uh, but to allow you, Jesus Christ... Uh, Christ crucified, to be utterly formative in our understanding of you and of our relationship to you. In Jesus' name, amen.